Welcome to the Balanced Man Podcast with your host, Ernie Harrison. We have five pillars in our lives that need balance. Spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and financial. Join us as we interview pros in these areas to help us gain wisdom, pass that wisdom on, and leave a legacy for future generations. Hey, this is Ernie Harrison. I'm the host of the Balanced Man Podcast, and today I have a treat, Brant Hansen, the author of the book, The Men We Need. Hey, Brant, can you hear me? Hey there. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, absolutely. How you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, um, this is this will be a strange request real quick. Let me get a. Uh, I'm gonna get a. My my wife don't believe I'm doing this. So I'm gonna take a picture real quick and <laughs> forward to her because she's she's a huge fan, which oh, I am that's too. Awesome. Yeah, I'm um, Thank you. Yeah, she's she's actually yours and Sherry's both of y'all's books that you oh, guys. Oh, awesome. She's in those. Yeah, she is. That's her claim that's to fame. Cool. Where do you guys live? So we live in Eastern North Carolina. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, we're about maybe an hour and a half from the coast. So awesome. But yeah, a little Beautiful. small town called Beargrass. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, you said you had 28 in your graduating class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very small. I'm, yeah. I'm totally going to one under you because I had 27. Oh, really? Yeah. Man. I went I always, from tiny, tiny towns in Illinois and Indiana. Yeah, I always brag I was the top 10 in my class. You know, it was only. <laughs> <laughs> That's so. funny. That's funny because yeah. I was third in my class. I missed out on ten percent. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Hey, look, thank you so much for your time, Rand. I know you, you got other things you could be sure. doing, and you graciously come on here with me and no a no name podcast. But yeah, the goal is to reach one. Totally. Uh, and uh, if it reaches one person, it changes their life or makes a difference. Then that's what it's all about. Yeah, let's like when I'm doing the radio show or whatever. I'm not picturing a crowd. Sure. I never picture, I'm always picturing one person listening in a car or on their headphones or walking along. So yeah, that's the scale that I'm used to. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, are you we got Sherry use, there. Are you, I'm sorry. Are we going to use video or is it just audio you'll be using? Yeah. Most, all I've been editing is audio because video is so large. Okay, cool. Yeah. Great. So, Awesome. Yeah, I didn't get makeup or anything this morning. I'm not putting on. I got a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, I just I haven't gotten that far. I haven't quite. I've just been doing the audio because people can listen to it maybe while they're driving and that kind of thing. I don't want to strike somebody trying to look at it and mutter. So totally. I don't. I don't. I hate video, so I prefer that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And so I usually I try to let people feel comfortable in the beginning and just talk a little bit because I don't like just going into an interview. I just think that's but. I know a little bit about you. People who hear this may not ever, have ever heard of you, but you have a, a podcast, which you call the Oddcast, and Brant and Sherry Oddcast. Yeah. Uh, now, do you mind going in, into this little background of how that started or look, maybe your past, where you came from and how you got into radio and just brief sure. that kind of information? I wanted to be a baseball announcer. I would listen to the San Luis Cardinals games from my porch and whatever little town we lived in Illinois and Indiana. And I always dreamed of doing that. I can't see very well. And it didn't even dawn on me until I was in college. How am I going to call play by play if I can't see the ball? (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, there's people running around out there, I think. So I wound up being a, like a newsman and on the radio instead and then it changed into being a show host i didn't set out for that but it just worked that way the podcast came about because i was hosting a show on a big network and i quit and sherry <laughs> was my producer 
So we just started doing the podcast instead, like on my back patio with some Radio Shack equipment from 1984 or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, so that, yeah, that's what happened. And so we're still doing it. She's a blessing. We've been working together 10 years now. Wow. Uh, it's cool because we're very different on the surface. She's a single woman. She's black. I'm white. I'm a married guy. She's extremely savvy about life. And like, I'm, I'm not I'm, like, it's really funny. I'm on the autism spectrum too. And she appreciates that difference that I think about things really differently. She's got this electric personality. I'm more the introvert, but it just works out so well because of our shared faith and approach to God and wanting to know him even more and more. We're right in line with each other on that stuff. Yeah. That's that, that makes my, my interviews more exciting to me when I have somebody of faith that I know that the spirit's involved in our conversation and that there's no, there's no limit in that aspect yeah. of what you can talk about when it comes to God yeah. and that just gives you a sense right. of freedom. Yeah. yeah. That's what I love about doing Christian radio, honestly, because I feel more free. There, there's some people in Christian radio that'd be like, I can't talk about this. I can't talk about that. I'm like, we can talk about way more than anybody else. Sure. Yeah. And, I'm not going to get on and talk about, some ridiculous TV show that was on last night or something. I, that, that'd be a waste of time, but it's, holy cow. I can talk about matters of the heart, our souls itself, like the purpose of our lives, remind people of it, encourage people in the midst of stuff. Like, yeah. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, man. And yes, I'm grateful for you guys. I've been married nine years and I don't know how long Cynthia's been listening to you guys. How long has the podcast been on? Gosh, six years, maybe. Okay, so seven, seven, maybe I know she listened to you guys on the previous radio station. And so she's been ever since so six or seven years. She's been listening to you guys. Oh, that's great. That's great. And she has a laugh like Sherry. Uh, it's very <laughs> recognizable. And, awesome. <laughs> but I love it. I love her. Vo I love her laugh. I love to hear her laugh. I love to make her laugh. And uh, yes, she laughs at my jokes. So it makes me love her even more. That um, is big. Do not underestimate <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Too. I, I don't want to get, I, I hate to go to a serious aspect, but what, what no, turned fine. me on to you or you guys, I listened, I can hear her laugh and I hear Sherry's laugh in the background. And I'm like, what are you listening to? <laughs> but one day she sent me a, a message that you did and it was on shame 2001. And I, I listened to it again before our meeting today. And uh, it was just so powerful to me when I heard mm. that because I sent you a little bit of my background, but growing up with the alcoholic father who, who left when I was eight. Now, I talk about my dad a lot on these things, but I love my father. I want to get it out there. My dad and I had a great relationship last 10 years of his life. And there's a lot of forgiveness there and a lot of we were best friends there at the end or last 10 years mm -hmm. anyway. But that foundation growing up really impacts you as a man or just as a human being. But I felt that same sense of shame. And I think sometimes I'm studying psychology, but trying to understand why we as children we blame ourselves for our parents' divorce or their breakup. We, I, mm -hmm. I kind of took that on. I took all the burdens on of my, I prayed to God to give me all that. My sister was, she had spinal bifida, was going through a bunch of surgeries. And my, my mom was heartbroken. My dad was, of course, he's having some mental health issues and drinking. My grandmother was, her mom's mother was blind. She went blind with glaucoma. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to take care of everybody. And I'm asking God to give it all to me. And he did. He let me carry it, which I carried it. But it wasn't until I was 15 that I was thinking of, I was thinking of suicide. Mm -hmm. I was a chubby, I was a chubby kid. I had given into my emotions by eating 
and that kind of thing. And so I was picked on. I wasn't a good athlete. I was taking all these burdens. And so I felt that shame. And so your message really spoke to me. And I think a lot of men or people in general feel that. And it's underlying a lot of their issues in life. And they just don't know how to recognize it or how to cope with it. One, your book is excellent. The Men We Need that you wrote, I think it's awesome because it speaks to me and what I'm trying to do as a man in a career, as a husband, as a father, as a Christian. I just thank you for writing that, this book. And cool. thank you for being so open and honest with your podcast. Thanks. I appreciate that. I think that, I think you can pick up on why on the way I am because we yeah. have such similar, we have such similar backgrounds. Wouldn't it be weird if you wound up like, because you wanted to be a baseball, because I was a terrible athlete. Couldn't see <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you had gone down the path of want to be a baseball announcer and then you wind up being a radio host, you didn't even really intend that. You'd probably have the same approach because sure. you don't want to get on the air and be suddenly like, "Hey, everybody, I'm a big star." Blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> you, would, you, like you would not. Do, that would be so out of your idiot, yes. right? You would never yes. do that. So that's a, it's the same exact thing. There's not. It's not going to happen. I wonder. Given what you've been through, I got a couple questions. Let me ask you a question real quick. Yeah. I have questions, maybe observations. Do you have kids now? I do. I have a little girl, little boy. Ellie Gray is six and Isaac is four. Okay. That's a very sweet period of life that you're in. Yes, it is. So I have boy and girl too. They're grown up. And my family was totally different from my yeah. family of origin. I mean, started a hundred percent different course. That's one reason Sherry wanted me to write this book. She encouraged me to write a book for men. She said the night and day difference between what you provided for your family versus what you grew up with. So remarkable. Yeah. It's the opposite. So I was frightened all the time and you probably were too because of the erratic behavior going yeah. on there. So you just, you're scared. And the other thing is when your parents are so erratic and there's scary stuff going on. You can be an afterthought. And yeah. it's not that kids need to be the center of the home, but that you can't be in a, I feel like you're just powerless and also not getting what you should have gotten from your dad, for instance. That can cause the shame, I think, later on. Like, even if I have some success, I feel really stupid about it. <laughs> so why, why do I deserve that? I don't deserve anything. Sure. And that, I think it's really weird. I, I, I didn't really start thinking about this until my wife helped me with it. And it's fairly recent. And I'm older than you, but it's like, it's good to get your head around now. And that shame is just not fair. It's not fair. And it's a natural reaction to having gone through what you went through, even though it's a long time ago, relatively. That's yeah. so formative. That's the other thing I beat myself up for too. It's like, come on, it's kids. I talked about that on the podcast, but it's, I was a kid. It's a long time ago. I got to oh, yeah. let it go. Like, but that's my counselor guy was saying, Grant, that's not how life works. Watch a duck formed basically with the first thing it sees when it's young. Like it's so yeah. formative. So anyway, I think that's where a lot where our shame comes from. It's not fair. It's good to talk to it and recognize it. And then to sure. chart this totally different course with your family, which is exactly what you're doing, which is awesome. Yeah, that's one reason why I'm trying to be so intentional now with my yeah. children, because I know these are the formative years of their life. It's the foundation. Yeah. It's going to, if I'm gone tomorrow, I want them to have great memories of me. And that's right. one reason why I'm doing the podcast 
is to leave a legacy for them of men that I admire have conversations with so they can go back and look at it and gain wisdom from it. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely brilliant. And being yeah. that and that aware, because a lot of guys aren't aware their kids are six and four and they're like, okay, I got to do this. I want to do that career thing. I really like a bigger truck. I got to, you don't get this time back. You that's get right. one, you get one shot. Yeah. So for you to be aware and in a moment when you're 60, 70 years old, you're going to go, I did the right thing. Yeah, I did. I have no regrets. Like I was there and plugged in. That's brilliant and wise. You know, I get guys get credit for all that because that's what I've always prayed for is wisdom in that aspect. And so looking back on our lives, if we hadn't had a childhood that we've had, we wouldn't appreciate what we have now, of course, with our own children. And I said it made us better fathers, I feel like as well. But I lost my train of thought for a second there. Um, but we're not the only ones. We know there's so many men out there, especially all over the world, but in America in general, when, who are lost. And I didn't have the mentorship growing up. I was an angry kid. I was angry other men because they weren't coming to my aid. Even the men in the church, they, but they never, the thing I have with men is what I'm trying to do here is they never talked about their flaws and their failures and how they helped get back up from those and succeeded. They always put on this facade that they had it all together. So I felt like I was the only one that was broken. And it, yeah, right. it, it was something right. wrong with me and uh, there's something wrong with everybody. Go people, yeah, people just don't admit it and don't talk about it. Did you have siblings? One sister. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, she was born with spinal bifida when I was four. Oh yeah. You mentioned that. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I just, I was wondering if you had a brother or something. Cause that was no. a huge help. That was actually a huge help to me going through the stuff I went through. That was a big advantage I had. My brother, he's injured the same way I am by stuff. Mm-hmm. Just having him around. Two years sure. older than me. He remembers stuff to this day that I put out of my mind. Sure. Like happens to us. And uh, that helped. But you're right. I think the generation ahead of us, I, I, it's, I hate to be, use big blanket statements, but I think it's, it was harder for them not to be self-absorbed somehow. Yeah. But it's, it really does seem that way. Even now, I feel like there's a dearth of guys that are 20 years older than me that want to serve other people. There are some. They're, and they're wonderful, yeah. but there's not a lot. Most of them are like concentrating on golfing. Though. Yeah, that's one of the things you talked about. That I, yeah. You were talking about in your, in your six decisions, and one of the things you said was forsake the fake and, and look at the real. Yeah. Relish the real, yeah. And I can't read my own handwriting. But we're in a society where everything's fake, and that's yeah. why I like this content where it's face-to-face, it's real, especially as Christian men, we can talk about the real things and not the fake aspects of it but what do you see out there that people are absorbed in there's it's the fake oh there's an article i just saw the headline today about the pornography industry just yeah having a huge year just out earns all the major sports put together so we know this is something and i bring it up in the book about forsaking a fake it's not to be a guilt trip for guys that struggle with this, because it's pretty much every guy. It's more like I feel for us because men have never had this issue before where it's right in front of you all the time. And we're also isolated. Whereas before in any kind of traditional culture, you're knitted into the lives of everybody else. They're in and out of your house. You're outside all the time. You got stuff to do. You're part of the context of people. You're busy. Now we've got isolation plus being tired or not tired, but isolation plus being alone that makes sense isolation <laughs> when you're alone, huh? yeah yeah 
Yeah, the combo <laughs> of those two things. Sure. I was going to say, oh, we're, we've got some time and isolation, and then it's available. This is not fair. So I feel for us. I hate how it manifests itself because it, it destroys us in ways we don't necessarily realize. Yeah. And it tricks us into thinking that we're having an actual relationship at some level. It gives us a dopamine hit. So I, it's one of those things where it's like a real woman, though. I'm trying to tell especially younger guys, but any guy. See, a real woman will draw you out to be the man you need to be that you would respect yourself by yeah. making you do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. Yeah. Pornography will never do that. Those pixels, that pixelated woman, that, that illusion of a woman that you're fantasizing about, like she will never ask you to get up and go to CVS at two in the morning. She doesn't feel well or, yeah. or argue with you and shape you and call you out on your garbage and your pettiness or whatever it is. But a real woman will. And that helps us become the men that we can respect ourselves. So you're just left with this self-hatred that can come from that. You don't grow up. It's depressing. And then for a lot of younger guys, especially, it's, it's, it shapes your brain in a way. Like they become very, there's guys that are so sullen and down and depressed and they feel meaningless. It's, that's because this stuff is meaningless. It's fake. Yeah. So you, you, the same thing can happen with video games and I love video games, but it's like, if I get too involved in them, I waste my time with it. I feel listless and meaningless and I feel depressed. Sure. Well, that's related to what I'm putting my mind on. So relishing the real, on the other hand, like actual real world accomplishment. Now I'm energized. I'm engaging with people. I can get things done. I feel better about life. I don't get as depressed as easily. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. You hit something that I think is in your book that you said about how when you are when you're around when you're forced to be around people and you feel out of your comfort zone, sometimes you go away afterwards and maybe play a video game and you feel yeah. more comfortable and more in control. Yes. That's what I that's what I try to explain to my wife when I suffered with the pornography issue back in early in our marriage was that especially early in our marriage, it's very tough. If when you're working at it and you're trying to become one and you're bringing in all kinds of baggage from your history and her history, totally. and I mean, you're just butting heads and you're just not wondering, you're wondering how is this going to work? And I told her for me, it wasn't personal to her when she would find things on my phone or my computer. I said, what I have realized, I said, is a control thing. I, I couldn't control our marriage and our situation and our, our love life. So I used that as a way that I could feel in control. Yeah. And totally understandable and just so destructive for us. Yes. But it's, it's weird because guys, it's not weird. It's okay. But we guys naturally gravitate towards something we can control and feel successful at. Yeah. And when you can't control something, it's, you just want to run away from it. We, if we're good at something, we tend to camp out in that area. Yeah. And if we're good at woodworking or working on a car, I'm not, but there's other stuff I'm good. See, we kind of gravitate towards things we feel confident with. Sure. We don't generally feel confident with relationships. Yeah. So we They're can complicated. Oh yeah. And again, out of your control, we don't feel good at it. So it's very, it takes a special kind of bravery, honestly, to engage neighbors or people on a relational level, even our wives. Yeah. There's a real legitimate courage and i like to pat guys on the back for doing that because you don't feel 
adept at it. I don't either. It takes guts. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't go. I had an awkward interaction this morning with a neighbor. Just I don't know why I said it wrong. I just walked away feeling stupid. But I realized that's part of that's the price of admission. And I'm going to be a man who's got some guts, even though I'm an introvert. I'm going to do this stuff. Sure. So that's something we have to fight and just say, okay, this is hard work. But the solution is not me checking out and just finding something I can control. That's totally yeah. understandable. But yeah, you're right. I think we fear rejection is one of the biggest things. You want to that's one reason marriage is great, but you have to be evenly yoked to, I think, two godly people together as a bond that when you're both coming at it with open mind and with forgiveness and with reading the Bible and try, both trying to change, that is very helpful. You're not, not worried about them finding out who you are and leaving you. Totally. If, they're fully, if they're fully committed, that's huge, but it's still scary to open yourself up to the human being to that point where they know all your insecurities and no one can crush you like your spouse. I mean, That's just exactly certain right. words or things that can really just so. Yeah, you can crush each other with a word. Sure. I realize that too. That's one of the one of the things in the book you probably caught, but I was talking about excited. It was another book where a guy was saying, most I was just pat myself on the back. If anybody tries to storm in this house and is an intruder and attack my wife or something, I'll take him out. And then the book. Really, yeah, there you go. It's a masculine mandate. That's it. <laughs> Got it. I read that in that book and turned around and said, I realized actually that scenario doesn't happen very often. The scenario that happens is me being the intruder and my words are the source yeah. of the attack. And I would expand that to say sometimes it's our lack of words or our hesitation to offer our actual selves to our wives. Yeah. That is very destabilizing and it promotes insecurity in the house. But it's something we can get better at. Sure. So that's, but that's the big, that's the big deal in this marriage thing. And I've been married 32 years now and we're still, it's a work in progress. We've gotten better at a lot of stuff though, recently even. Yeah. So I think that's a lot of it is her affirming me, listening to me talk about my past over the years has helped because she's a fan of mine. And no so better fan than your wife. Yeah. Yeah. And she knows what I went through. Is it really the only two people who really can totally know are my wife and my brother. And for her to affirm me and to understand that I deal with shame or I deal with getting down on myself really, and she still affirms me as a man, that's, I wouldn't be able to function without that. Yes. Yeah. They really, that, I think of the concept that Paul says that marriage is knows a mystery. And I really feel like it's the, the marriage is symbolic of our relationship with God. The woman is mysterious and we'll never figure him out completely. <laughs> so is God, yeah. but yeah. we have to seek him out to know him. And the same with our wives. We have to seek them. We have to go and to spend time with them and speak to them, communicate with them, to know them. Same with God. And as a God, as a, it comes across as a father. He's a protector. He's a provider. And women seek God in that. And they see that and appeal to them in that aspect. So I yeah. feel like that's part of the reason why so many men out there are just not close to God because they don't know how to communicate. And yeah. they're scared to open themselves up. And the problem I feel like a lot of it in the country is that the women have taken over the role of spiritual leaders. And the men have just come passive in that aspect. Well, I think in our culture at large, and I'm sure books have been written about this by people a lot smarter than me or better researchers or whatever, but it's like women have taken over a lot of areas because of necessity. Yes. And 
I think because of the stuff that men have allowed into their lives. And I don't think it's coincidental with pornography and stuff. People will, people act like that's just a side issue. I don't, I think it's a core thing that's killing us. And that's just the entire ethos that we have and the lack of vision for what a man is supposed to be. Nobody's, nobody tells young men what they're supposed to be yeah. without a vision. What's the point? So now we see, I saw the news this week that the suicide rate among young teenage guys is through the roof the last year suicide now more young guys commit suicide teenagers than get killed in auto accidents wow really the first yeah but no one's telling them what the big vision is what we're for what we're supposed to be there's no articulation of that and yeah so a lot of women do have to stand up and occupy roles they probably wish they didn't have to fill but if like men don't know what they're supposed to be doing and we don't put forth any cultural vision for them. So we're lost. Yeah. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I think you're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to speak reality, speak to to young men or men in general and go, there's a parallel. I'm not a, I'm not a writer. So here's a book idea for you one day. There's always a parallel. There's God's plan and there's Satan always has a parallel underneath the surface of what God has planned. And yeah. the, the, the God, God's got the real plan and Satan always comes in with that fake plan, but it seems it's a fake. It's a yeah. fake. It's a sucker punch every single yeah. time. And he, he doesn't build anything beautiful. He can only mock it. That's right. He can only deconstruct. I'm not saying all deconstruction is satanic or anything like that, but that's all he can only, it's he can only tear down. Yeah. yeah. He, and he can prop up a mockery of something that's beautiful. That's yeah. it. He's here to steal and kill and destroy so God is the author of life and of beauty and goodness and truth, but it always looks good. And then it's a sucker punch. It's always a, it's always a hollow replacement and you think it's going to be awesome. And then it's a punch to the gut and it leaves you by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's how he operates. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And I think if men, I see it more now than I've ever seen it now in my life. The Holy Spirit, I think is at work a lot in men's lives and men's hearts. They're coming together around here. We have something that we started called Brothers in the Field, where it's some men who are started off as hunters and fishermen. They got together and they would we would find someone either in the group or outside the group would come in and give their testimony for cool. the first 30 minutes to an hour. And then we share a meal together. So it's men being vulnerable, talking about how they came to know God and that kind of thing. And that has really expanded a lot around here. And uh, I well, got to use your looking book. for that. Yeah. yeah. People are looking for, and I even noticed there's a couple of things going on in England, for instance. It's not even Christian or anything. It's just people are so desperate to to have friends. Yes, that they have these groups built around soccer matches, like after the like where fans and guys get together and they sit and talk about their past and what they've been through. They just mm-hmm. want somebody to connect with. We don't have moose clubs or elk clubs or whatever we or eagles <laughs> or what. Like we don't have that anymore. I don't yep. know exactly what that even was, but it's like, there's all these things, bowling leagues. There's all these things that people used to do together. We don't do it. Guys are desperate for stuff. It's a great opportunity for people who are Jesus followers to, to meet that need. So I think that's really cool. Yes. Yeah, what I feel like we are today. I feel like Satan brought in the COVID that isolated everybody, but it's Friday at the tomb. Sunday's coming and God's using, he's used COVID now that people realize what's important in life. Time with family and friends are really important. And so many other things are superficial that don't matter. Totally. Totally. And uh, relationships will help you grow up 
it's just hard yeah. because it's, it's difficult in the, if you have a choice between I can sit here, relax, maybe play some video games or watch a movie or whatever, or go ahead and get out, drive to this thing and hang out with some people. It's always easier to just choose to stay home. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's so much better for us to be involved with people. I say that as somebody who's very introverted by nature, but I know it's better for me to be with people. There's, you bring a benefit to their life and they bring a benefit to your life. So why not? We yeah. can't really benefit ourselves sitting around. You can read the Bible. You sit here and read the Bible all day long and you say, I'm, I know the Bible. But if you don't go out and be the hands and feet and do anything yeah. and talk to people about it, how does iron sharpen iron? You don't have another iron to sharpen with. Yeah, I would encourage guys to actually be encouraging to other guys because we we all being encouraged and we soak it up, some affirmation. Yeah. But if you can spot to make that your thing, you may not think it should be your thing or it ever was your thing, but decide before you get together with people, I'm going to say, I got something good to say to this guy. Here's what yeah. I, I really admire how honest you are about. So find something. Sure. And make that your thing. It's, it'll actually be energizing for you to take the focus off yourself say something to another guy to encourage him. It's strangely energizing for yourself and you find yourself yeah. growing up and being transformed. It's, a, it's countercultural because growing up it was, or I guess we're so insecure that we always find something else wrong with somebody. And sometimes we pull sure. those things out to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. And I have that tendency. I picked with my wife and I grew up with people picking on me and I was picking and that was how we socialized. But my wife said, when she said, I'm your wife first, I'm not your friend first. So Treat me as your wife. And I still had difficulties with that. I'll say things sometimes just joking. And then I was like, ah, why did I say that? The words are powerful. And I, I joking, jokingly with folks, I, I hurt my wife at times that I'm still trying to correct myself, think about things before I say them. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. what's so wonderful is the ability to just pivot in an argument with your wife or after you said something, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That's yeah. not fair yeah. to you. That usually melts the heat of the moment really quickly and it even builds security in a relationship just the willingness to not have to write everything out to the extreme just go yeah you know should have said that not fair yeah. i'm sorry yeah. yeah sometimes i don't know that i've heard her and it comes up later on so it's just yeah. uh, it's just part of a marriage and trying to recognize those areas that are painful so yeah and then you get in these cycles that you replay over and over when you have a disagreement like that, where it's, why didn't you tell me at the time? And then well, I yeah. can tell you're mad at me. And then you said, you're not, but I can, you obviously are. Oh, so I'm no, not the only one. Way. So we all have these issues in marriage. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh, I think it's, I think it's so typical, but to lower the temperature and just be like, well, I'm sorry. I want to yeah. be the first to apologize for anything I can legitimately apologize for that. That usually she's adopted that too. And yeah. so now it just occupies less of our time in year 33 of our marriage. Yeah. I think that's where I feel shame too. Cause I feel like I, I apologize for the same thing. Like I come to God a lot of times with the same issues and I ask for forgiveness for, and my wife, I know she's tired of forgiving me for the same thing. So I, I want to change in his aspects, but it's just, man, it's so difficult to root out those areas in life that those, you cut it off, but the roots are still there. Yeah. I think a lot of transformation, I think being transformed is the thing. Like in life, God's very interested in who we're becoming. Like a lot of that comes indirectly through practices in life. For instance, 
having a Sabbath day. You don't, you just, I'm not going to be productive today. Anything but productive. We can play, we can pray, we can goof off, we can rest, we can, but I'm not going to be productive. That discipline teaches you I'm not who, I'm not what I do. I'm not all the pressure that I can put on myself, spending time in solitude, like an hour where you don't do anything. Don't even study the Bible. Don't even yeah. journal. Just sit there with God and do nothing is a practice. Uh, memorizing scripture is a practice. These are things that actually transform us. And then in the heat of the moment, it's just like any practice like for basketball or something. It's like that practice will equip you for the real game. So that in the heat of the moment, you don't have to think about it that much. You just respond differently. You react to stimuli differently in the moment because you've been putting in the practices. Where you yeah. can, it helps you do things that you wouldn't normally be able to do, including reacting in the moment. I think that's, it's not just a matter of willing yourself to don't say that thing again. Yeah. It's, change, it's a change in your heart that comes from this other stuff. And then you become a different person and your wife will notice that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, you're so true there. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important in that aspect because when I rely on, I fail every time I rely on myself. So it's in part yeah. of the time I find out that I have some kind of sin in my life is where I've relied on me and I haven't relied on God in an aspect. Yeah, it's weird because it's, it, it's indirect. It's not like there's a lot of willpower things that we'll fail at eventually. We'll give in yeah. eventually if it's just willpower. But if it's a changing of our character from the inside out, then we become more successful at it, avoiding yeah. this and doing that instead. That's I can't emphasize that enough. And in men, you can't you can't change your character and you can't receive to rely on the Holy Spirit if you're not one reading your Bible on a regular basis. Jesus says, "Eat on this." It's just this is important as food. So if we don't eat, but one day a week, we're going to die. So we have to be eating on that daily. And two, we have to be talking to other Christian men and discussing these things to help better each other and talk totally. about the problems we're having in life so we can relate to each other and know that we're not the only ones. And also just the weight that comes off. If you do confess things that you're into, you want to stop. And that's helpful if somebody else is like, yeah, I went through that too, or me too. I'm struggling with it as well. It just takes a lot of the shame off yeah. uh, of your back in that sort of situation. I would really recommend for anybody memorizing scripture. I didn't realize until recently when Jesus is talking, almost everything he says is a throwback to <laughs> the Hebrew scriptures. Yes, almost man. every single thing. There's stuff I didn't realize. Oh, that's he's actually referencing Ezekiel there. He's referencing Isaiah there. Like it's almost he's got it all memorized, which is part of the rabbinical system because these kids grew up in, the, in that era. Yeah, they would memorize everything. But having that hidden in your, inside your head or in your heart, I, I have that. No one can take that from me. Yep. So like I, I've been spending a lot of time on Psalm 23 this last year. Just I say it in my head out loud, actually, when I'm walking the dog in the morning, just like, thank you, Lord, or the Lord's prayer stuff. The things I can memorize, no one can take that. Yes. It's there for me to chew on at any time. And that is transformative. So highly recommend doing that, even if you're not good at memorizing there's a scripture memory app that I use. I talk about, and I don't know if it's like a dollar or two online. I don't get a cut from it. I just use it. It's awesome, but it's helped me a lot. And that's, again, we're looking at things that transform our character. That's what we're doing. Sure. Yeah. It's like someone said, you show me what you're reading, what you're watching and who you're hanging out with. I'm going to show you who you'll be in a year from now. Absolutely. Okay. It's all about who you're becoming. Is that, and you yeah. are becoming, you are going somewhere. So if the things I'm paying attention to are not life-giving, not wisdom-giving, then I'm going to be more foolish 
a year from now, 20 years mm-hmm. from now, 50, I'm going to be an angry, isolated old man. If I just camp out with the news and opinion, that's all, that's where my attention goes right now. Yeah. That cannot be the well I'm drinking from all the time. It cannot be, or I will wind up being an angry fool. So it'll happen. And I felt myself coming to that point where as a combat veteran, after what happened in Afghanistan, and your son yeah. probably feels the same way. It's very yeah. discouraging, Heart- very heartbreaking. You know, got friends who have given their lives for our country and what happened over there. And so I was just, I was consumed with it and angry and uh, seeking out oh, wisdom. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit said, Ernie, you can't, you can't change the nation, can't change your state. You may can make a difference in your community, but you can change who you are. Yeah. You can be a better husband. You can be right. a better and father. Yeah. And we need you to be that. That's we need you at maximum wisdom operating out of strength, not just railing at what just came across the news again. Even if it's even if it's very frustrating stuff. Like yeah. your wife doesn't need you ginned up about foreign policy right now. Exactly. Or my wife doesn't need me ginned up about this latest whatever, whatever that happened. There's always <laughs> gonna be something. But we're yep. supposed to be people of peace. That's right. So we need to be like people at peace. And then we can address issues from that standpoint. But that's interior work that's got to happen between us and God to yeah. changes. And that's why so many people are turned off, I think, from Christianity or the church in general. They think we're hypocrites. You're not showing the fruits of the spirit. So how are you trying to tell me to go see God and you're not you don't have fruit yourself? Conversely, um, if we were at peace, if we were people of peace. We could have convictions, but we were joyful people at peace, not living and dying by earthly politics. We had our eyes on this, the kingdom. I think we'd be really interesting to people and people would be drawn to us. I know they would be. I've seen it. Yeah, that's what you're doing right now. You and Sherry both. You talked about 23rd Psalm. My first book, I didn't really read the Bible much growing up. I went to Sunday school, but my grandfather died when I was five and he was a godly man. My mother's dad and uh, but he left some books behind and the only book i have of his other than his family bible is called god psychiatry i don't know if you've uh-huh. ever read that by david uh-huh. allen it was written back in the i guess in the 50s or 40s charles allen but he talks about changing your life in seven days of course is one of those type things but he talks about the pattern of thinking and he uses the 23rd psalm and he says hmm. he, he tells you to take it like a doctor tells you to take medication he says i want you to read it five times a day not memorize it, but pick it up and read it and think about it, concentrate on it and get it ingrained in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And after seven days, you have that thought in your, in your mind, you do have it memorized, but it just, so much of the 23rd Psalm brings peace yes. when you need it. And think about how it starts. I was just marveling about that yesterday. Like the peace starts from the very first words, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. What does that mean? I'm a sheep. <laughs> I am a sheep. He is in charge. Those things alone, when you properly see who you are, who cares for you, who's protecting you, who's actually in charge, those things alone bring peace. I don't have to control everything. He's in charge and he's good. Like it's all the way through that whole thing is is where we can actually have joy, like a sense of well-being. It comes from that. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. I'll fear no evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because yep. they protect me. What mm-hmm. those things are for, they fight off the things that want to attack me. Like, and surely goodness and surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like you, when you yeah. end it like that, like I know how this ends. That's right. I have nothing, 
I have nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, Not no matter what happens. Thing. No matter yeah. what, the worst case scenario, I'm going to be okay. So yeah. that's a strong hand to go through life with. It is. I've struggled as trying to, you talk about what is a man. I've struggled with that a lot of my life. Just trying to figure out what makes me a man. Who is it? A lot of guys in, in my, as a combat veteran, they, they go this sheepdog route. I'm a sheepdog, yeah. I lead a sheep. I don't listen to the sheep. So you try to be a protector in that aspect. And it's all of us arrogancy and thinking that you're better than other people and that kind of thing. Instead of doing like Christ did, yeah. coming down to the meek and the mild and the humble and, and, yeah. and humbling yourself to help other people. I think that's, I think that says seeing yourself, like you can be, I do think we protect the vulnerable. That's absolutely sure. part of what it means to be a man. But if that's a point of pride, that's a problem. What it needs to be is like us following our leader. Yeah. So that's why we're doing it. So it's even Paul's, follow me if you want, as I follow <laughs> Christ. And that's how it's going to work. And Jesus even says, we're all on one level. I am your teacher. He's the shepherd. Everybody else is on the same level. We're all novices. Yeah. He's the instructor. Nobody's an expert on this except him, like on life. So, yeah. So we get to follow in his way, but that we can't be like, I'm at the top of the heap. Yeah. Yeah. I just, that yeah, was cheap it, too. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's where I struggled with, with that aspect. I did see something recently. Shay LaBeouf, I think it's his name. He's a celebrity. Yeah. She, LaBeouf, yeah. LaBeouf. He was on a uh, podcast with a guy, the guy who plays the Punisher in the show. But anyway, it was just a brief clip. He was like, I was growing up thinking, what was a man? I, I thought a man was somebody who, who spent time in prison or who come mm-hmm. back from combat. And he said, I see these men, they're still boys. He said, I didn't realize it was you were a man until you had something to be responsible for, someone else to be responsible for. And so that is, it's huge that we just don't have those Remember, I don't know, you, you just never a point in life where you go, all right, son, you become a man. Like in the Jewish tradition, they have these ritual ceremonies. We don't have those things. So there's no transition from boy to man. And I, and I want to do that with my son. I want to be able to, and my daughter, I want them to grow up. And hey, this is a transition point of your life. It's good to have that. I think it can be meaningful. It's interesting. The more I found out about like the bar mitzvah thing or bat mitzvah thing, it's like they're really saying they're not saying you've accomplished something they're saying you are now responsible for your spiritual life not me uh-huh which i think it's really interesting because it's like that's the essence of what adulthood is is taking responsibility but now it's it you are you and god you yeah it's so you still have this parental role that i thought that was really interesting it's not like you have to accomplish this or that it's just you need to understand that you have to take responsibility now and I do think that's really important. I think for a lot of guys, they're never told though what it is. So I, that's what I was trying to do in this book is go, I think it's being a keeper of the garden. That is the essence of the masculinity that God wants us to manifest. And even a guy like me, I can't be a sniper. I've got neurological problems. Like I can't even, I can't serve in the military or whatever, but like even a guy like me can fill that role. You'd be a great like, saw gunner, though. Saw gunner, man. It's, you know, <laughs> belt fed, machine gun. Man. You'd be awesome with me on the team. Yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's funny. Uh, my son's in the military, my brother, my stepdad, my grandpa, like all of that. But I could just, when you have balance issues and neurological problems and whatnot, you're not getting in. Yeah. Look, we all have, God has a plan for all of us, right? In that aspect. So I have a lot of guys say, you know, totally. I was going to, and I'm like, yeah, but where would you be? You might be dead right now. You don't know where yeah. you would be if you'd have joined. And look, 
And God saved my life multiple times when I was over there. And there's a story I didn't go in detail with my, when I sent you, but so I'm over in Iraq in the beginning of the war and my team leader gets hurt. Uh, he gets a hernia and he has to have surgery and I get put in charge of the team. And I have a college education, but that's all. I have no prior experience. I've just came out of basic training, airborne school. And so they put me in charge of these guys. And we're going to combat zone. Uh, hmm. We have a guy that uh, ID goes off and the, another team guy gets killed. Another guy's leg blown off. And I'm just like, I'm in a very vulnerable position. And I'm praying. i got men underneath me that I'm responsible for. And uh, we go into these villages and we just enter and clear houses over and over again. I think it was like in the month of November that year, we had 500 homes just in that wow. month, just over wow. and over. So I got a little sense, a little arrogancy about it. And I, me and I, my squad leader got into a disagreement and I felt the spirit kind of nug, tug at me. And I said, thank God, I'm reading my Bible. I said, I don't want to get anybody killed. I said, please humble me. Mm-hmm. Which I tell people, mm-hmm. don't ever ask God to do that because you know, <laughs> you know yourself. But uh, we came back from a mission by two in the morning, desert, no lights on the outside of a building. I walk outside from this place and I can't see anything. I'm trying to find my where I'm at. And I find a Humvee. I walk down the side of it. And it's part beside this huge hole. 10 foot deep, 10 foot wide. I mean, nothing but broad, bricks at the bottom of it. And I fall head first into this hole. Oh. And I got nothing on, just and not unconscious. And uh, anyway, when I come to, huge generator beside of it, running the building, call for help. Nobody can hear me. I know you've probably heard of Rick Warren. His book, Purpose Driven Life, has been very impactful for me. I read that while I was in training in the Army. And his words that you'll never know God is all you need until God is all you got came to my mind. And I just called out to Jesus. I said, I got a sister home, it's handicapped. I can't move my fingers or toes. I said, I can't go home like this. My mom take care of me. I just, and I called out to God to help me. And I went unconscious. And when I came to, I was rolling out this hole, Brant, and there was nobody there. I wasn't capable of doing it. So I, I truly believe God sent angels there to help me. And when as soon as I rolled out, there was a medic coming out of the bathroom. I called for help and they came in. Anyway, Took me to the closest hospital. I had six staples put in my head, but I had some nerve and neck and back damage. But 30 days later, after rehab, I was back on the front lines. I could be in a wheelchair side of my sister right now. I could be. Christopher Reeves was paraplegic, quadriplegic after falling off a horse less than that. That's what, that was Man. a changing point in my life where I was like, God, you gave me a second chance and I'm going to give you everything I have from this from now on. And I failed at that many times, but I, every day that I shaved my head, I'm reminded of God's grace because of that scar. And it just reminds me of that. Yeah. And it's the reason why I started this is just, I want to do something. I want to talk to other men to encourage them and tell them, Hey, look, that story is not a story of, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a, a medal of honor recipient. I'm not a purple heart recipient. You know, um, I guess went to combat on the front lines, but I got hurt in a way that most people consider very humiliating, hmm. but what was humiliating to me humbled me as a human being, but spiritually has took me way beyond that it would ever be. Totally. And that's so cool. Oh, God will do that. And there's yeah. stuff that we talk about that frequently on the show. We ask people like, what are you thankful for now that you never thought you would be? And it's stories like that, which are the best ones. Because if you were, if it was some awesome, I single-handedly invaded <laughs> yeah. Belgium, sure. they'd be like, Oh yeah, well, you're awesome. But, if your story's like that, it, it makes you likable, but it, people walk away going, God's awesome. Exactly. He gets the glory for that. Yeah. 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 That's, what's, that's what's so great about weakness is, is 
people don't walk away impressed by us as much as intrigued by God. It's pretty yes. cool. Yeah. And he gets, man, that, that's, yeah. that's my goal. We make sure he gets the glory for it all. So whatever humble me, humbles me, hopefully it gets him glory in that aspect. Love it. Love it. Some of the other things that you had said, we talked about page 65 of your book, Brant, you talk about some of the bigger things, the vision for our lives. And um, you give a slot here at the end about number 10, something we could put in here to make it a 10th thing. And I, I put in here that I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. Ah, yeah. Yeah. My 10th one. So yeah, good. We needed a 10th one. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what I strive for in that aspect. And something quick, my son was reading the other night. He's got his Batman. He loves Batman, superhero stuff. Lego Batman here. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Like, Real quick, top 10, but I'm going to pick three. Weirdest villains in Gotham City. Which one would you be? We got Calendar Man. <laughs> Calendar Man never misses an appointment with crime, thanks to his obsession with dates and holidays. <laughs> so we got one Calendar Man. We got two, the calculator. According to this villain's calculations, crime really does pay. <laughs> and we got the Red Hood. Nobody knows who hides under the Red Hood. They want to lock him up, of course, because he's, but they can't unless they catch him red-handed. Uh -huh. The, uh, the Calendar Man, the calculator, or the Red Hood, if you had a choice. Probably might be a calculator guy, but I'm going to go with Redhead being an introvert. Not, people not knowing who I am, I think that'd be, that's the yeah, appeal. That was it. So mark me down. <laughs> guy, right. you, you let him know. Thanks, man. God bless you. It was great talking to you. Thanks for everything. Thanks for listening to the Balanced Man Podcast. You can find us on the web at thebalancedmanpodcast.com and on Facebook at The Balanced Man Podcast. 